Welcome to Expert Gold Radio, which shows you how to leverage your leadership. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for January 2013, and Happy New Year to you. I hope that 2013 turns out to be the best year of your life. I'm certainly intending that it's going to be the best year of my life. And we're starting the new year with a bang here on Expert Gold Radio with our feature interview from branding expert Michael Nalon. And after that, I'll share with you some work style trends and predictions for this coming year. But first, let's jump straight into that interview with Michael. This is Gihan Pereira here, and I'm talking today with Michael Nayland. He's a brand expert and marketing coach. Actually, he wears a few different hats. We might talk about some of the others a little bit later, but today I want to focus on what Michael does in branding, because he really is an expert in this area. He's the author of the book, The True Brand Toolkit, and the new book, which has a working title, Your True Brand. Uh, Michael and I have worked together since, uh, I think it's a couple of years, Michael, since 2010, when we worked together on Michael's online presence, and I'm just constantly amazed and impressed by the quality of the stuff that he does and the quantity of what he does. So I'm really excited about having this conversation today. So so welcome, Michael. Thank you very much, Gehan. Pleasure to be here. Great. Well, we'll get to personal branding, but if you talk about branding first, mm-hmm. uh, look, I think there's an obvious question and there's a number of different answers that I've heard, but I don't think I've ever heard a satisfactory answer to the question, what is a brand? Okay, well, the high-level answer to that is a successful brand is your intangible assets that are made tangible and irresistible for your prospects, your clients, colleagues, employees. And so it's it's a promise that's delivered and then some. And that goes for everyone who comes in into contact with you or your organisation. And, and so ideally it's distilled down into a word that generates both a positive feeling and a beneficial outcome that we can expect by interacting with your brand. So, for instance, uh, when I say Volvo, Gihan, what word springs to your mind? Uh, safety. Great. And it would be the answer that I dare say 99% of the population would say. Mm. And that's why it's such a successful brand because it's instantly identifiable. Even at a really long distance, we can recognise Volvo anywhere, anytime, and same goes for Golden Arches, but, it, but for McDonald's. But it's it's the sum of the parts. It's the sum of the intangible parts, and there are many intangible parts. And I dare say that's why it's tricky to get a satisfactory, uh, satisfactory answer for you uh, because there are so many components that make up a successful brand that uh, it can be... It can be hard to define, but it is the sum of those parts, and that's right through from your look, your feel, your image, the way that you interact, all of the touch points that happen along the way. Another great example to look at is uh, being on an airline. So today, I was uh, for the last two days, I've been on flights to Melbourne and back, and uh, just observing Virgin and the way that that brand and everyone in it interacts. And they've been doing a lot of work on it recently, and it's paid off. Uh, I mean, they already had a great brand anyway, but it's actually been uh, refined. And it only takes one interaction that's off-brand for you to actually start questioning the brand. But it needs to be so consistent, and that's the cornerstone of branding. Okay, so if you look at those examples in Volvo and Virgin, are really good examples, because I think people have a pretty clear, clear idea of what those brands are. So let's say Volvo, is, is Volvo's brand safety because they say it's safety or because we as consumers say it's safety? Or is it this, <laughs> I'm asking the same question. Oh, look, it's a, it's a great question though because it's, it's somewhere in the middle of that. It's like a great presentation happens between, halfway between you and the audience. It's a conversation that you create, if that makes sense. Everything that Volvo's message is about is about safety. Mm. It's about a whole lot of other things, but they're all secondary to safety. It's safety first. So that becomes embedded in our mind and we, we reinforce that. And so that's, that brand cycle is reinforced constantly with, with the conversation that, that happens around it. So, uh, the same with Virgin. We expect to have fun when we go on a Virgin flight or expect them to be friendly. Every brand evolves and every brand goes through through cycles and through dips. We um, we all go through it, and especially with personal brands, uh, because people age and grow. 
you change, you develop. But the uh, but the same with but the same with a um, with a, a corporate brand as well. They go through different cycles, but there's still that element of something that goes all the way through it. I mean, my, whenever I think of Virgin, I do think of uh, that it's an, I know that I'm going to get good value for money, and part of that good value is that I'm going to get good value humour as well and good value people. Yeah, and I, and I love that idea of a personal brand, which you just mentioned, Michael, because uh, because I work with people online, and I, I think that personal branding is one of the keys for successes online because so many of the online tools now, things like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and blogging, so many of them are personal. But, you know, many business owners, they resist the idea of positioning themselves online and they would rather position their business. So I guess the, the analogy would be that vir- if you were a virgin or a small business version of virgin, you'd rather position virgin rather than Richard Branson. Mm. So so what do you think about that? Should they do one or the other or is there a good balance between them? And actually, I'd be even interested in your, your comments on what you think about Richard Richard Branson as, the example, as an example of somebody with a strong personal brand. Yeah, with, well, with Richard Branson, looking in Voyeur magazine today, I noticed that he's actually now, uh, selling watches, and I can't remember the brand of the watch, but it was, uh, he was, so he's the, he's the icon, uh, around selling this watch, which is, as you can imagine, a, a high-end luxury mm. watch. And the, the, uh, the image in the magazine was in, was incredible, because it, it's putting him up as, it was basically, it was tying in almost the message was that it was tying in his legacy uh, around a watch, and so it was making a really bold statement. And it was, and it's in Voyeur magazine. So that reinforces his brand. It reinforces Virgin. It uh, it obviously positions the the watch really really well. Uh, but it it does. It's a win 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 because it's obviously good for. His personal brand, his personal brand's great for Virgin and vice versa, as long as they're both managed well and they're both, uh, they're both actually relayed intelligently and it's excellent for the watch because it means that then they're being able to say, we're in this club and here's how you get a touch of Richard Branson. It's like the golden touch and that's part of the wonderful intangibility that that we almost get to touch something that's it's it's about dreams it's about selling dreams and then um people positioning themselves really well so what you know what that means for a business owner is is that we want to make sure that they have a club and we know whether we belong in it or not and the same that's what their brand represents is is this a brand for us is this a person that we either want to be or associate with or you know that that we know like and trust and i, I see richard branson as an example of somebody who's almost larger than life and yes. he is very he he's willing to go like go to the edge and sometimes even over the edge according to some people i guess but what if you're not like what if you're a business owner you you're running a business um and it may be like i know michael you work with a number of businesses at different uh, different sizes different scales as a business owner should you be putting your face forward as a brand or should you be putting forward the business as a brand uh, or should you be doing both i think you should be doing both definitely doing both for instance uh there's a case study that i'm doing for the next book on um an electrician, a local Sydney electrician, who's built a really smart personal brand. And his name is David Jones. So uh, he's obviously got associations with another brand by having the name David Jones. But he's been very clever about the way that he has made himself a brand as well. And, uh, and because of that, he got an amazing amount of traction in helping go for... Uh, the Sydney Business Awards that were on recently and they won. And so that's actually no main feat. So there's, so there's a lot of local small businesses that you're up against. But because David, uh, is, is, I think, I think it's all really genuine too. I think he's actually likes being, uh, he likes being part of that fate, being the face of, uh, David Jones Electricians. But he's not the face all the time, and he seems to have a, an innate sense of knowing when to uh, be be up, accept an award. He had a lot of people give a testimonial video that he got uh, within 
24 hours, he did a text out to 50 people to help do a testimonial video. And uh, out of that, he had something like 34 out of the 50 within 24 hours respond. And it was filmed uh, at, at their offices within 24 hours. And that, to me, is a really great indicator of someone who's got a powerful personal brand who leverages it well to be able to so that they're in the centre of it, but all of those people just, a lot of them just didn't even know what the testimony was for. They just said yes instantly because they knew, liked and trusted David. Mm. And I can imagine, Michael, people like you and I have an, possibly an easier job building a, or showing our face as our personal brand because that's, that is what people buy as speakers, trainers, consultants, thought leaders. That's That's what we do. So people do buy us, but I can imagine that for other businesses like David's business, there, there is sometimes maybe a little bit of a conflict of which one do I, which one do I position myself or the business name? Yes, absolutely. And even, even with our businesses, uh, Gihan, as well, uh, I know myself, I mean, having MC me and Michael Nalon, I've had to be really conscious about MC me as a brand and Michael Nalon is a brand. I have to be objective about both of those. At times, because there are going to be times when uh, people want the business, and there are going to be other times when people want to work with me, and I have to traverse that uh, delicately sometimes because uh, it's about what's best for them. It's always about what's best for the for the client, and what's going to make them feel that they're in the safest hands, and and also that they're uh, they're getting the best service. For what they want, um, so yeah, it, the, both of those. But the, it's still it's 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 funny. Even though I know that a lot of people will book m- me to present or to or to consult for them, it's still there are just there are some times where I have to know when to take a back seat on that. Yeah, right. Okay, and th- that is interesting. Actually, there's a couple of questions that come to come to mind as a result of that. Like, do you find yourself having a little bit of schizophrenia and wondering which hat you're wearing? And I guess the second question is that if you are focusing on yourself as your personal brand, is there a danger that you can come across as maybe a bit too self-centered, arrogant, and not a likable person because everything is about you? Yes, there is, and I've made mistakes in that area uh, personally. And especially from having come originally from an acting background where we were taught at uh, drama school that we had to talk ourselves up. We were told, we were told that part of going for the, so the sales process for an actor is to go into an audition and you're going, uh, you're going into auditions sometimes five, if not more times a week. And the first thing you're asked is let us know a bit about yourself to camera so they get a sense of who you are especially for commercials and advertisements, which I did quite a few of um, when, the, when I was in the, the, the peak of my acting career. And it, uh, so part of my training was about, well, I talk about me because that's what gets the work. Uh, and then, you know, once you get into the audition, it's about the, about the work itself. But I've had to really unlearn that in positioning uh, myself, my own personal brand, that, Yes, you're there. It's like I'd never call myself the expert. If other people would like to call me the expert, absolutely. Uh, but for me to call myself the expert feels arrogant to me. Uh, I will call myself a specialist. It's what I specialise in. I specialise in brand. And I, and I definitely believe that uh, I'm across brand and have a really good, deep understanding of it. But I wouldn't call myself an expert because that, to me, is arrogant. And sometimes it can, or it sounds arrogant. And I think that that uh, uh, that can be a um, a very subtle but powerful difference in your own dialogue with with clients and prospects. Uh, that you're there to to serve their brand when you're working with them, and they need to know that first and foremost. It doesn't mean that you're servile, but it does mean that you're there to to serve. That's what businesses essentially about so you need to make sure that you it's like in newsletters that's a one of the finest examples is don't make everything about your business Um, find other businesses to talk about Uh, so there's Corbin and Blair who are a case study in in uh, in true brand toolkit Uh, they often have sales and it it works well because a lot of corporate clients like to know about that because Corbin and Blair do wonderful leather good products 
I'll find opportunities when I'll put out on social media that they've got a sale on because hopefully it will help my clients as well as Corbin and Blair, uh, who are people that I like to be associated with. And I think you have to trust that you get associated by the company you keep. I think that's really vital that you say, well, I surround myself with uh, people that I believe also offer quality and value and all the things that I believe are good business and uh, that I'm happy to refer, that reflects on my brand. So you find other ways to position your brand and, and often the company you keep and the people you refer are all aspects of your brand. So you mentioned a couple of things, and I've been taking notes as we go along, Michael. So you mentioned a couple of things that I think you would say are part of your personal brand. So the company you keep would be one. The areas that you specialize would be another. Do you have a list of things that if I was looking to say if I want to build or discover my personal brand, is there a checklist of things that I should be working from? Absolutely. Uh, What's your story that's relevant to the market that you want to be working in uh, or want to be working in more? what do you, what specifically do you have to offer them? If you could bring it down to three key words, and that becomes really important with online marketing because the clearer you are about those key words, the more that you can use them in all of your social media profiles and, and your online language so that it becomes easy to find you from a, from a search point of view. Uh, then, and you'd know more about that than, than I, Gihan, but it's, it's, uh, really getting clear on those three key values. If there was one word to describe you, what would that be? A bit like, if I, you know, if I say Volvo, you say safety, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word that, and it's really good to, to ask a pool of people that you trust, that, uh, professional professionals that you trust and also some people that uh, are closer as well to say, well, if you were to define me in one word, what would it be? You'll get myriad answers. However, somewhere in there you'll find commonality and the clearer that you can get that 360-degree feedback, which is often used in leadership training and coaching, that you can get that around your brand, that you get an outside view of how others view you uh, and you say, well, is that the brand that I really want people to see, do I need to look at my brand? Do I need to look at me? I mean, obviously you want to keep the authentic parts of yourself, however, and the core of who you are, but is if that's not what you think you're putting out there, if there's a disconnect there, then you need to look at that. I think there's something really interesting that you said there, Michael. I'd just like to pick up on it, um, which, and this may or may not be the case, but you, like you mentioned the word values and you mentioned the word authentic. And I'm wondering whether with a personal brand as opposed to corporate brand, do you think that your personal brand, even if it's representing your business, needs to be aligned with or congruent with your, with your personal values or is it or is that, is that not important for you to be authentic as long as you have your business being consistent, even if it's not aligned with your personal values? I think you definitely do. To have a more robust brand, have to have authenticity. And I actually think it's your defining edge. So, for instance, mm-hmm. I saw John Simon uh, last week being interviewed by Simon Reynolds. It was fantastic. It was such a an inspiring interview and John Simon who is the face of Aussie Home Loans and who built Aussie Home Loans uh, with the uh, with the tagline we'll save you was so congruent and was so he was all he's also savvy however he was I, I thought he was so open and it was actually quite touching and and, and then people mobbed him afterwards. And I don't mean that to be just emotional about it, but it was so – I really felt that I was in front of the – the real deal was in front of me, that John Simon was absolutely bearing uh, everything professionally and and some personally. He was saying, look, it hasn't been hard. And he was actually saying, I think that if there were more people that actually uh, showed us some of the – the rough stuff that happened on the way to being polished, we'd all benefit a lot more from it and it would be better for their brand. And I agree. 
Yeah, and I've had to say I've heard similar things about speakers, Michael. That that you say that, that I've heard people say that they really like the speakers who are the same off the stage as they are on the stage. It doesn't mean that they, that they're not a performer on the stage, but you you get a feeling for who they are as a person when they're on stage, and when when you have a private conversation with them off stage, you realise that they are that person. You're not surprised or shocked by who they are in real life. Yeah, it's a great it's a great testament to to the speakers that really stand out. Again, I was speaking to Paul McCarthy uh, mm, I know yesterday. Paul, yeah. yeah, and he could... I've known Paul for a couple of years, and I, Paul's Paul on stage or off. Yes, there, as you say, there is show Paul, but it's not It's not that different. It's only... You know, there, there are certain constructs, constructs that happen the minute that someone gets on the stage and that there's a story to tell and that there's... Um, that there's business to do on a stage or there's a message to convey. But it's still Paul. And I had this great conversation with him only last night. And it was, it was, I just thought the whole time I just kept on thinking, this is gold. I feel like I'm getting uh, you on an, on an even, it's, it's the longest conversation I've ever had with Paul. And I just thought it's, uh, I, I feel like I'm getting you only more so. Yes. That's a great way to put it. That's fantastic. And, you know, as we're talking, I'm just thinking that the same thing applies now in so many other ways. There are so many other magnifying glasses on you than more than just you standing up on stage. There's everything that you do online as well. What do you, what tips do you have, Michael, in terms of your online presence? How do you, I was going to say, how do you fake that sincerity? But it's, <laughs> it's the actual opposite of that. How do you not let the technology get in the way of your authenticity? I, I look for, having a conversation and the more that I can mix a formal and informal language so that I think uh, that I think that I'm taught I've really I've actually become in some ways uh, more reader centered with with what I do with social media so it's less about me it's more about the, the, the value that I'm putting out on social media so it doesn't feel like an advertisement and it's about not only in value in the way that you convey what you're putting out there, but also that you, uh, that what you're actually putting out there, uh, so that you're perhaps retweeting or, or, um, or re-sharing or that you're sharing someone else's content and crediting them for it and giving your opinion on it and, and being personal in that conversation is really important. And, you know, even if you've only got 140 characters to do it in, all the more reason to be personal. And the, other thing is to is to be to have a bit of fun with it. I find that uh, I find that uh, the more that I have some fun and 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 some, even though I'm really clear about the messages that I'm putting out, every now and again I'm I'm always amazed at how uh, how something that's completely random will capture people's attention because you've shown just. A, a bit of wit or you've had a joke or you've and I put out quite a lot of business social media so that's why I'm saying that is I like to balance it with the other parts of you so I think that if you it's a bit like if you're speaking you you don't only bring one part of you to the to the speaking platform you bring as many parts as as possible to give people a sense of the other aspects of yourself and I think you need to do that with social media as well um, another thing is is that that's really surprised me Gihan, just, and it's going to perhaps sound like a contradiction but I uh, have been amazed especially on our Facebook page I got a photo of, uh, of Simon Reynolds signing a copy of my book at the summit on the weekend because uh, he'd given a testimonial for the book and it was on the front cover and so there I was asking him to uh, to sign it and um, Nina Sunday very kindly photographed it and uh, and I popped it up on Facebook and the amount of uh, po- uh, the amount of likes and comments that came as a result of that and it was as a, you know it was one of those moments where I, I said to Nina I said I I feel a little bit, uh, almost a bit daggy, Nina, uh, <laughs> putting this out there. He said, oh, just do it. Just do it. Uh, but it's a, one of those things where it was, it was a genuine moment of me saying, oh, this is a, a slightly starstruck entrepreneurial moment. 
and people responded to it. And I think that there's something about, especially with your community that you build, they do want you to be, they do want you to be uh, a rising star. But see, people will celebrate your success if you put it out there well. And they actually, they are looking for that because they get to have a vicarious moment of their own. And um, you know, that's about the focus of your community and that wouldn't work with every community. But it was, uh, I accidentally posted it to my personal Facebook page and also the company Facebook page and the, I, I, on both um, personal and also the, um, the company, uh, the, the response was really surprising. And I think that just reflects that people do want to connect with you, don't they? Or they want to, people connect with people. They don't, com- they don't connect with the brand necessarily, unless you are a big, big brand like, like Virgin or Volvo. But more and more people are connecting with your personal brand, which is your, your persona or your personality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, as a business owner, you are your brand. I spoke to a, a guy yesterday who, uh, said that he was really, torn about whether he would so he's got 12 staff and he had resisted showing his success by buying a top-end car Mm -hmm. and he um he finally went and did it he really had to work through stuff to 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 get that high-end car because he thought oh my customers will think that I'm showing off. They'll be thinking, where's all my money going? Is it going into his car? Um, these sorts of things, the perception around it. And then he, then he thought, but I really need a new car. And he, he did do it. And he said, it's actually, if anything, people just now perceive him as, uh, they actually perceive him in a, in a greater light. Uh, so they actually perceive that he's worth more. And I think there's something about the connection of that with on, your online presence as well, that if you keep reinforcing that presence, and I, don't, and I don't mean, you know, show off all the time. However, if there's a certain place that you've achieved in your, uh, in your life, in your business, that you've been, or in your success, let people in on that and share it and let yourself have it and, and people will actually respond accordingly and the people that don't well maybe they're not um maybe they're not right for you mm, and that, i guess that's part of the the whole culture of facebook where you want where they, they call the people who are you, you're connected to your friends and your friends want to celebrate your successes they're not going to resent it or feel jealous about it they actually want to celebrate so by by not sharing them with your friends you're actually denying them the opportunity to do something which they love about being connected with you that's right. That's right. You're actually really, yeah, you, you're giving them the opportunity to, to share in your success. And it's, there's a real, there's, there's a real generosity in, in putting those messages out there. Uh, I think it's, um, it's so much of it comes back to intention. It just, it really, it really does come back to intention. The, the, the clearer you are with your intention and, and the, uh, the more that you can be congruent in that and, and, it reads. It's like when you're writing anything, writing copy for your own website or writing a, a proposal for a client. If you have their best interests at heart and in your mind, if you really have that their best interests in mind, it shines through. It really does. I mean, there might be some technical things that get in the way. There might be language that doesn't work there you know you might be off the mark in other areas but if that intention is is uh is on the money then you've got much more success of actually uh connecting with that client getting that proposal through and uh and giving them true value yeah great and michael i do want to talk about the book because uh, i was fortunate enough to read an early copy of your first book true brand toolkit which i loved because it was both strategic and tactical, and I loved both. I loved having both those perspectives that you talked about the big picture, and then you said, "Here's how you roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty and put it into practice." And I know the next book, which I know the working title, "Your True Brand," and it's not just a book; it's part of a bigger platform and package. What's what do you think are the key differences between True Brand Toolkit and the and the new offering that you've got? The key differences are that True Brand Toolkit was aimed at 
giving people who uh, had their own business, small to medium business, a, a workbook that they could work through with case studies all the way through of other business owners that were from startups right through to really established business owners that in different fields, being able to get them really clear on their brand, what brand is, how that works for them, how they could mine that and uh, that goes for the intellectual property as well as the actual look, feel, image of the brand and uh, then how they could translate that into marketing and then into sales and uh, it was very much a, a step you step you through process to either reinvigorate what you're already doing or to, if you're a startup, uh, to be able to actually have um, a shortcut so that you wouldn't have to make a lot of the mistakes I made when I started the business. And Your True Brand, with the, with the working title of Your True Brand, is more about you as a business owner or as an independent professional and how you, or even um, working with people in this area of you working for others, working for a, an organisation, your personal brand is something that you take with you no matter what. No matter what happens with your business, your career, uh, yourself, you've always got your personal brand. That's something that is, that's why I think it's so vital to be, uh, to be authentic and to, and to have integrity around your personal brand and to value it and to get really clear on what you stand for, uh, who you want to work with, what you want to attract, and then also the steps that you can take both online and then also face to face to be able to maximize that and, and really leverage it because I think we've come, we've come into a really exciting time where we've all seen what it's done for stars and for even for people within business that have become mini celebrities as a result of being able to be really clever about their personal brand. And we all do have so much power with social media right now, but there's also a lot of mistakes that people make. And there's also a lot of things that people are inadvertently doing to damage their brand that they could be really doing in a much more often low cost, but more high impact way. Great, great. And it sounds like it's, I'm really looking forward to reading that now because it sounds like it's something that's going to be even more relevant than true brand toolkit was for me because I think the personal brand is absolutely where I need to be and what I need to be, what I need to be thinking about and uh, making sure that who I am is coming through. Great, great. So uh, before we finish off, Michael, I just uh, I know we mentioned at the start that that you do wear a number of different hats, uh, mm-hmm. and you've mentioned already you've mentioned MC Me. Uh, I know you've got your own speaking business and writing, and uh, you also mentioned that you're taking on the role of president of the National Speakers Association of Australia. So it sounds like you've got a, a busy twelve months ahead for you. But what's what's your focus for you right for you right now, and what's top of mind? What's top of mind is streamlining everything I do and uh, and who I do that for and with. It's making sure that uh, I can actually give a, a deeper suite of services to the clients that I have so that there's an evolution that they're, they're going on so that we're really building them as personal brands in, in, in more ways. So we've had some really good successes with that, especially this year. And that's something that I really want to continue and give them even bigger successes, uh, going on in the year ahead. And it's quite aligned with what I want for the, the National Speakers Association is that each speaker, by sheer nature of, of the of the of the role, has to have a powerful personal brand to keep earning good money, getting the engagements that they want, and also to be taking their their career on the on the path that they want to. So, I'm really committed to making sure that people in the association are supported in. In that, and that's also great for the association because I think it means that it elevates the awareness around the association as the the peak speaking body in in the country, the peak professional speaking body in the country, and that's that's vital for the for the brand and for the personal brands within that to keep going to the next level. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And that's a perfect example of where you talk about aligning your personal brand with all the other ventures that you're involved with and focusing and streamlining so that everything does remain aligned and authentic. 
Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So, Michael, just just as a as a last thing, what sort of clients do you like to work with, and what sort of work do you, what sort of ways can you help people? Because I know that we've we've spent less than an hour here, and we've like, I'm sure we've only just touched the surface of what you can do. So, is there a particular type of individual or business who is a really good fit for you to work with, and um, and if so, who are they, and how do they get in touch with you? Thanks, Gihan. The people that I work with most are traditionally fairly well-established business owners, SMEs, and uh, I, I work with some speakers. So I uh, take on the, the their brand management, and so it means that speakers are often so busy that it's a, uh, it's a matter that uh, we can make sure that they're supported in getting their uh, their authentic voice out there, uh, and they we all need to keep marketing all the time, but we make sure that that's on brand for them and that they position themselves. And often they will have a training company or a coaching company that is also part of what uh, they do and they will be one of the people that either speak to attract business into that organisation or that they will uh, be a coach or consultant or trainer themselves as well. And it's they're, they're wrestling with those sorts of challenges of, keeping the marketing going and making sure that the brands are really well defined so that they're attracting the people that they want to attract and, and do business with with their ideal clients. And so that's how we work with them. We Everything right through from uh, video through to messaging, getting really clear on their social media profiles that are going to work for them and how they can leverage that. And, uh, and then campaigns and... Uh, these sorts of things. I, I also work predominantly with in the in the SME market. It's around service professionals, so it's predominantly service professionals. And there are some people that, even in a more product-based business, are are looking to, especially if they're quite well established, is that they're actually looking into doing either some more mentoring themselves. They've actually got to a position where they're uh, they're not so hands-on within their business, but they do see the benefit of being uh, a, like a, an Anita Roddick or is to actually then start speaking or doing more engagements to raise their profile and sometimes it might be with what they're doing with a charity or it could be with what they're doing uh, around their business as well and and, and uh, raising awareness for their business so they get to see the, the benefits of actually raising their personal profile through, especially through speaking or video or uh, or getting more messaging out there. Yeah, and I love that, Michael, because that's the sort of the, the sort of people that I like working with as well. Because they are they are leaders. You're not, you're showing them how to use marketing, but in the, in the best way to actually get their key strategic messages out there more effectively for themselves and for their businesses. Yeah, but it's 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 a it's really fulfilling. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. So, how do people get in touch with you, Michael? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, the best way is to email me. Michael at mcme.com.au. Uh, there's also the website, which is mcme.com.au. Then we can um, take it from there. Great. I'd also recommend your blog, Michael, which I'm pretty sure is michaelnaylon.com, isn't it? That's right. So that's um, uh, that's spelt M-I-C-H-A-E-L-N-E-A-Y-L-O-N.com. Great, great. And thank you, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate you taking the time here to share your insights and your wisdom because there's just so much in here that I've got just for myself and I'm sure that other people will get a lot of value from this as well. So I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you, Gihan. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Michael. I'm sure you've got some gems that you can take away and use yourself. Now let's turn to the way that you work. The internet's given us so much more flexibility in the way that we can organize our work in our home life, whether you're working for yourself or whether you're working in an organization. My co-author Chris Pudney and I discussed this in our book, Out of Office, and we recently talked about some things that are changing in this world, and we came up with our eight predictions for 2013. So let's join that conversation now. Okay, so... The first trend for 2013 for out of office is about video conferencing. So it's becoming really easy and ubiquitous. Uh, one of the reasons is that the, the devices themselves come with 
pretty high quality video cameras. So if you go out and purchase a smartphone or a tablet, that's going to have a video camera built into it, as uh, do most notebooks and PCs these days. I bought uh, a PC earlier this year that has uh, an integrated video camera. I haven't made much use of it so far, but they're, they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. And in fact, the people that I work for, they've taken it to the next level. They are commissioning several telepresence suites uh, at various sites around the world. They're a global corporation and their travel budget is immense. And so in an effort to try and reduce the amount that they spend on travel, they're putting together some really high quality video conferencing facilities so that they can encourage staff, instead of traveling, to communicate via video conferencing. So, as I say, the devices are becoming ubiquitous, even high-end devices like uh, telepresence suites. That's the hardware side of things. On the software side of things, the tools themselves that we can use with these video devices are, are pretty, much every, uh, pretty much everywhere and easy to use. So, first foremost amongst these probably is Google Plus Hangouts. One of the great things about Google Plus Hangouts is that it's just built into your browser. It's so easy to use. If you're on Google Plus, you can initiate a Hangout with a few clicks. I think there's a plugin you have to install in your browser, isn't there, Gihan, in order to, to be able to do a Hangout. But other than that, it's really, really easy to use. That's right. It pretty much installs itself the first time you use it. Right. Okay. Um, and in addition to Google Plus Hangouts, then there's Skype, which many people are already familiar with, which has supported video chat for a long time. Uh, but if you have a premium account, then you can do more than just one-to-one -one video. You can have a video conference. You can have many uh, video pe uh, many people in the, the video communication with Skype Premium. So one of the things about video conferencing and video chat is that it's a higher fidelity communication channel than those that are built on text, like email and instant messaging, or audio, such as telephones. So what I mean by this is that when you're seeing other people, you can see their, their posture, their bodily posture, you can see the gestures that they're making whilst they're talking, and you can see the expression that they've got on their face. So that's the... Uh, some additional cues that you have when you're communicating with people when you've got video available to you. And I think the other point that's made this really popular now, Chris, is that so many of us have broadband, and so it's not just the devices and the tools, but we've also got very fast internet access, or at least fast enough internet access for video to be for video to be a feasible tool. Absolutely, yep, that's that's a necessary part of it all. Great, great. So that's the first trend, Chris, that the video conferencing is on the rise. The, my first trend, which is at number two, is that BYOD is on the rise as well. BYOD, you might have heard of that acronym. It stands for Bring Your Own Device. And it's it's come about because of the rise of mobile technology where everyone's carrying around a phone or a tablet, uh, an iPhone or an iPad or an Android phone, Android tablet. And because those devices have become so powerful now and so so good for some kind of office work, there is an increasing demand for organizations and workplaces to allow people to bring their own devices into the workplace. Uh, and particularly in, in our case, we're talking about, uh, for out-of-office workers, we're talking about semi-commuters. So you might be working some of the time at home. And in, when you're at home, you might be using your iPad. And so when you go into the office for the days of the week that you're in the office, you want to be able to connect your I iPad not just to the wireless network in the office, but also to integrate with all the other software that you'd normally be using in your office. And so that more and more employees and workers are expecting that and demanding it, but it raises a number of issues. And, and, and one of our colleagues uh, calls it uh, BYOD is bring your own disaster <laughs> because uh, and she works in IT and she works in IT for a large uh, organization and uh, security is an important problem there and she just she just sees that it opens up a lot of potential problems um, and it's not just uh, integrating the software and hardware but it is things like things like security it's some of the legal issues uh, uh, surrounding that for example things like um, you know uh, corporations have to abide by by the privacy act but a lot of people are using tools like, say, Dropbox, where uh, the files are being stored offshore, and that might be in breach of the Privacy Act. And it's fine for you if you're an individual or you might even be an individual business owner, but if you're working in a large organization and data leaks out that way, you might be in breach of some, um, some important regulations. Um, there are rules about acceptable use. Um, of how you use some of these devices uh, and even some of the issues around the whole out-of-office work style and human resource issues like if you give people the ability to use iPads at home then do you need to start paying them overtime 
uh, if they're using it outside office hours or uh, are there any any other issues around uh, encouraging people to work out of hours and therefore you know there, there may be some uh, really important HR issues around that so it is, there are some issues around that but uh, this we can't get away from the fact that phones and tablets are with us and they're going to be with us for the foreseeable future so organizations do need to embrace it and so we expect BYOD usage to rise in 2013 indeed yeah so my second trend is about Android, and I've called it Android is King of the Road. And that's because, uh, according to one uh, pollster or prediction uh, um, analyst, they're expecting the number of Android smartphones to top 1 billion in 2013. And currently, the number of Android devices being activated daily is more than 1 million. So those are phenomenal figures and you can see why Android is uh, certainly is the number one mobile operating system. The the area in which Android has been most readily adopted is in the developing world where consumers are more price sensitive than uh, perhaps in uh, the in the developed world. Uh, the, the the consumers in the developing world are less, uh, less inclined to pay the premium that Apple demands for its devices. So as far as out-of-office trends are concerned, this is, uh, this is likely to drive further uh, development and innovation in the mobile devices and software space because we have two big, strong competitors in that in that market being Apple and Google. And as well as that, although Microsoft are... Uh, have only a very small slice of the market. They're working hard to catch up. So this year they've developed, they've released Windows 8, which has a user interface that is designed for uh, touch devices, such as you find on tablets and smartphones, as well as releasing their own Surface tablet, uh, which is their first sort of tablet-based product that comes from them rather than a, a third-party manufacturer. And although you know, Windows 8 and the Surface Tablet have had a fairly lukewarm reception, Microsoft is investing a lot of time and capital in uh, mobile devices, and that's going to drive competition in that area, and, and that's to the benefit of out-of-office workers. Um, perhaps one grey lining to that silver cloud is that uh, these technology titans are uh, embroiled in a patents battle that's uh, seeing them uh, waste a lot of uh, money and time and effort on suing each other ar- around patents, uh, technology mm. patents for mm. mobile devices. Um, and that does have a chilling effect. It means it raises, uh, it, it, increase, it, it raises the barrier to entry for small players. It makes it harder for them to enter the market. And as I say, it's, it spends a lot of capital that otherwise could be invested in uh, uh, further developments and improvements in the technology that we all want and need to use. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, we could talk about patents. That's a completely separate episode in its own right, of course. Indeed, yeah. Uh, But one of the things that happens as a result of the growth of Android in particular, I think, is this idea of multiple devices. And uh, so my next trend is this idea that there isn't one device to rule them all. And perhaps 12 months ago or 18 months ago, there would would have been a number of people who were suggesting that perhaps the iPad would have been that device that it has, that you can do everything from your iPad and you wouldn't need any other device. But I think the growth of Android has meant that there are so many more options available that, and they, and many of these options offer different features so that there isn't at this stage, uh, uh, the convergence that some people was, were expecting isn't there yet. So, for example, um, you can get an Amazon Kindle, and in fact, I, I recently bought a Kindle, Chris, which I never had before. I had mm-hmm. uh, I had the Kindle app on my phone, on my tablet, and on my PC, but I bought a Kindle, and it's great because the e-ink t- technology is so much easier on the eyes. It's like reading uh, paper books. Uh, so, and none of the other devices give you that that technology. Um, you might have your GPS or satnav, sat-nav device in your car because uh, even though it's available on your phone, uh, it's the, the version of the phone is, is pretty good unless you've got an Apple phone with the, with the latest <laughs> version. Uh, but still, it's convenient to have something that's uh, already mounted in your car and doesn't chew up battery life while you're, uh, while you're using it, uh, chew, chew up your phone battery life. Um, people are still using laptops instead of going to completely using tablets because uh, they're still better for typing unless you've got an external keyboard. And there are people who realize that, and especially in, in organizations, there's some software that's not available on their, uh, on their tablet 
uh, which they might be using on their on their Windows operating system, things like PowerPoint, or even if it is available, it's available in a cut-down form. So there are people who are using uh, and who need to use multiple devices. And uh, I don't think in 2013 we're going to see a single device that does everything. So I think one of the things that we have to be aware of is that you're not going to find one device that does everything. And if you if you try to use your iP- uh, iPad or your you know Samsung a Galaxy tablet for everything, you might find that it, it's a little bit crippled and a little bit difficult to use. So, so be willing to use multiple devices, even though it's a little bit less convenient to carry them all around. So my third trend for 2013 is the rise of the semi-commuter. Um, so a semi-commuter is a term we uh, coined for the book, and it refers to someone who telecommutes part-time. Now, I don't have any hard numbers to back this up. It's based on an observation of uh, the people with whom I work. And I've noticed when I'm uh, in teleconferences or uh, phone calls with them that In many instances, they're working from home rather than from the office, and they're doing so on a regular basis. So that's just one data point to the organisation for for whom I work for. Uh, The reason for this is that uh, the technology that makes this possible has improved, so the devices and the software is available to allow people to do this. With regard to the people I work for, we have a VPN that means that you can connect from home via broadband and access resources on the corporate internet, uh, just as though you were in your office at work. Uh, More generally speaking, I think uh, one of the reasons for this is that employers are beginning to recognise that it's a win-win situation. So these flexible work arrangements are uh, of benefit to the employer because it yields greater productivity from their employees and employers like it, so they're less likely to uh, switch jobs and uh, the employers enjoy a higher retention rate. Okay, so my next trend, and uh, I don't really have a lot to say about this one, but I think it's something that is going to affect a lot of uh, businesses, is that the increasing trend for organizations to use Google Apps for business. Uh, and Google Apps is a suite of products that's, that brings uh, brings all your productivity products together. Uh, it brings in Gmail and Google Plus and uh, basically all the Google products under one roof. But in a way that businesses can use them effectively. So it's not just about marketing, but it's about using using Google Apps as your uh, as your software infrastructure within your business. And uh, there is a trend where that's growing, and it's for a number of reasons. So one is, of course, because Google, because Google is Google, it provides a lot of resources, and so and the software is pretty good. Uh, but the other reason is that uh, because Google is Google and has really promoted Google Apps for Business. There are a number of other software vendors that have created uh, ways to integrate their system with Google Apps. So, for example, I use a system called MailChimp for sending out my email newsletters, and now that's integrated with Google Apps. So if if I had Google Apps for Business and you sent me an email, Chris, um, when I look at the email that comes from you, I can also see which of my MailChimp uh, newsletter lists or mailing lists is Chris subscribed to. So I can see uh, what my communication platform is for you, for, for you specifically, or I can see whether uh, when an email comes from you, I can see whether uh, we're linked on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter uh, and Google Plus. And if we're not, I can immediately just with one click uh, connect with you. So all of those things brought together mean that Google Apps for Business is a very, very powerful tool. Okay, so uh, my next trend is with regard to texting, better, cheaper texting for 2013. Uh, So just this past couple of weeks, the SMS short messaging texting system celebrated its 20th birthday. I think the first message sent was Happy Christmas or Merry Christmas. Mm. Um, But at the same time as that, uh, we're seeing uh, the SMS system being challenged by apps for smartphones. So SMS text are really useful because you can conduct immediate one-to-one communication with them. Technically speaking, SMSs are deferred, so I mean you can send a text and the other person doesn't have to respond immediately. But generally, we do when we're texting one another. We 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 uh, we respond immediately. It's more like an immediate conversation. But one of the problems with the SMS system is that it can be expensive. If you send lots of texts and you've got a particular kind of uh, mobile phone plan, then uh, you can find that uh, the cost of texting is expensive. So with the rise of smartphones, there are now a whole host of apps that are designed to provide the same kind of texting services, 
as SMS, but they're app-based, so they use your internet connection to send the messages rather than using the SMS system. And as a consequence, they're far cheaper than uh, than you sending SMSs. So there's uh, probably the two that people are most familiar with are the ones from um, WhatsApp and Viber. And then if you're a person who's uh, got one of the iThings from Apple or, or a Mac, then uh, they've got their messages um, messaging app. If you're um, if you've got an Android phone, then it'll have Google Talk on it, and that's the one I generally use to send uh, um, instant messages or texts to other Google users. And uh, then there's uh, Facebook and Google Plus both have a messenger app, and I think there's one more uh, Skype. Skype also allows you to to send texts both using your internet connection, but being an internet voice over IP internet telephony tool, Skype also can send actual SMSs for fairly competitive rates. Yeah, and actually you mentioned Skype, and I was going to say that it's the equivalent of Skype for phone calls, isn't it? That in the past you had to use the the normal phone system for phone calls, where Skype allows you to make phone calls over the internet, and this is the same idea, that instead of using your phone to send SMS messages uh, across the, using the phone system, you're using it through the internet. Yeah, that's that's a great analogy, Gihan. And as a consequence, uh, we're seeing, even though SMS is a venerable 20-year-old technology, its usage is in decline as people switch over from the SMS system to the smartphone apps for uh, achieving the same purpose at a fraction of the cost. So whether what that means for uh, the carriers who uh, make quite a lot of money from SMSs, whether they'll uh, start blocking these apps or not, I'm not so sure. But nonetheless, we have uh, a much better, cheaper texting service at our fingertips now. Uh, Okay, so the last trend is uh, the fourth one that I've got, which is better connectivity for travellers. And this is this does affect some out of office workers, uh, but and particularly I guess the digital nomads, because uh, out of office work by definition means that you do have less travel between your your home and your office. But there is still a lot of business travel happening in the world. Uh, people still de- still do need to travel for business, go to business meetings, speak at conferences, attend conferences, and so on. And as a result of that. The travel and the hospitality industry are just competing to offer better services in this area. And that's that's really great for us as out-of-office workers who do travel. So, um, for example, I'm a digital nomad, and most of my time I spend in Perth, but there are times when I do travel uh, to other places and work from other places, and that's part of what being a digital nomad allows me to do. And some of these new services, because they've been set up for business travelers, are also available to digital nomads like me and to anyone who travels for business. And I'm talking about things like, and because we're talking about online things, so it is mostly about access to the Internet. So now there are hotels that offer free Wi-Fi in their hotel rooms, and that used to be really, really expensive um, to have Wi-Fi in your hotel room, uh, especially when, and it used to be like price gouging because there really was no reason for them charging a lot of money for that. Uh, but now, it's in some places, that's a competitive advantage where they say we offer free Wi-Fi. Um, there are other things there where uh, people will, uh, hotels, for example, will offer Wi-Fi hotspots because they recognize that a business traveler or any traveler might have more than one device that they want to connect to their uh, to the internet, and so they'll have a hotspot so you can connect three to five devices uh, rather than just having to connect them one at a time. Um, airlines are offering in-flight Wi-Fi, and that's something that's been around for a while in uh, in the US, and it's it's now spreading to other parts of the world. Uh, I noticed a news article recently that said that Qantas has just cancelled trials of it on its uh, on its A three eighty fleet recently, and their reasoning was that there just wasn't the demand for it; it just wasn't happening. Uh, but I think that's another thing that's going to that's going to increase and grow, and it's going to start off being expensive, but uh, I think soon it's going to become again really competitive, and so that's going to drive the prices down. Um, and uh, I guess hotels again, coming back to hotels, nowadays they have fairly sophisticated business centres. It's not just a place where there's one. Uh, isolated PC which you can use as a printer with a printer attached that you can use for printing and a single fax machine for sending faxes. There are now sophisticated business centers in hotels where they do allow things like um, connecting you like BYOD, bring your own device, uh, using other device, uh, using other devices, having fast internet access. A lot of things that we kind of take for granted when we're working in our office or even in our home office are now available to us on the road as well. Do you want to work from virtually anywhere? The internet makes it possible, and the book Out of Office shows you how. Get your copy at outofofficebook.com and get more convenience, comfort, and freedom in your work life. 
Well, that's it for the first episode of Expert Gold Radio for 2013. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something that you can use in your business or your organization. Next month, I'll be talking to email management expert Stuart Snooks about how to write more effective email and also how that means that you can manage the email overload at the same time. So look out for that soon. Have a great month. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to Expert Gold Radio. If you'd like to subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.